Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of The Work. The Work is a podcast that my co-host Gina Killian and I do each week, talking to the brightest minds in the HR tech industry and the universe of things that surrounds the HR tech industry. What makes the podcast what it is, is our insistence on a conversational tone with no prep or anybody involved getting ready for this. So we talk about the topics in an unvarnished way, free from the claws of PR people in the uh, in the game. Ouch! Today, oh, oh! I was thinking, I, I was trying to see if you're that awake. That was a shot. Oh, except Gene, except Gene. Um, today we're going to be talking with Mahi Bayaredi, who is um, the co-founder and CEO of a company called Phnom People, and Phnom People was a very, very early entry into what has become a burgeoning marketplace. The uh, Phnom people specialize in applying complex AI machinations to its um, vast approach to managing human capital. It started as a sort of a recruiting function, but it's grown well beyond that. And so, Mahi, it's great to have you on board. Thank you, John. Thank you, Gene. Why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself, Mahi, and 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 talk about the the journey, right? You you started you started a vibrant tech company in the suburbs of Philadelphia, which you know that's not what people generally think is 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 a likely place to find fertile ground for a tech company. So 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 tell us this unlikely story. Yeah, sure. So, like, um, um, before this company, I started another company, which is called as Bija Health, which has nothing to do with recruiting. It is actually everything to, to do with patient recruiting. Uh, this is in 2008. It's about how do you identify patients for a clinical trial um, for renal cell cancer, stage four, stage three, or nephrology, or something to do with cardiovascular diseases. So, the way you really understand a patient is to really look at look at the data of the patient from multiple angles, from pharmacy angle, from a doctor's angle, from a hospital angle, and also from an insurance angle, and try to understand who the patient is. That is the first business I started in 2008. It's all about data. It's about how do you predict a patient, where they're located, who they are, and how do you connect so that they'll have an extended life. Uh, when we thought about that problem, uh, like 2008, like 2009 was a rough time. So we thought like, why can't we really think about applying the same technique towards recruiting and retention? How can talent be really find the happy place in their work? And that's where we created the company Phenom. Uh, we started initially as iMomentus and then we renamed it as Phenom. And what happened as a company is when we are starting the day one, uh, we actually thought we'll start in three different countries. Uh, in Philly, which is in US, and then Israel and India. All the three, we started at the same time. And there was a primary reason why we started that way. Uh, HR industry is not uh, like a, as a department, is not a very expensive uh, war chest of cash it don't really carry. Uh, you basically, sales and marketing and IT really holds the most chunk of the money in an enterprise. How can you build a disruptive but innovative technology infrastructure which can scale? 
And for that point of view, we thought like we have to find the unique location where we can rally the teams for a very long time. And the company what we're building is not like a short-term company where we'll make money fast. It's all about like, can we really sustain this company for a very long-term, build a purposeful company? And that's where these locations are actually picked. That's awesome. So, so if you could sketch very briefly the range of things that the company does today. It started as it started with a clear focus on recruiting and that kind of matching that you were talking about, but it's expanded out into other aspects of the uh, human capital supply chain. How how is that? What's what's the breadth? No doubt. So the thing is, uh, what we really thought about is, uh, how, like, for our purpose to really do what we're really doing, we have to think about the overall talent ecosystem. But when we started the company, we thought like, okay, we'll start with recruiting as an infrastructure to start with. But that is what the intention of the business is. So we went after candidate experience and a recruiter experience as the starting point to start as a company. But in that process, we built a search infrastructure, a personalization infrastructure. We built a matching engines, recommendation engines throughout the whole stack. And as we really uh, progressed the product, what we really thought is, why can't we really apply towards an employee and a manager and HR? How can they really get benefit about how to retain people? Who are the people who should be retained, not just who are the people who should be hired? And like how the career paths has to really go. So what if you really look at the platform side, the platform is called as intelligent talent experience. We do three things. The first thing is about like, what can we automate throughout the talent ecosystem? What can we make it intelligent through personalization? And what is the experience we deliver by each particular segment of the persona whom we are really dealing with? And in that particular flow, uh, we actually thought about like the overall talent ecosystem as a primary fabric to really go after. And that's where the product is today. It's not just recruiting, it's talent acquisition and talent management together. And we really created uh, like four different experiences in the front end the candidate experience, the employee experience, the manager experience, and the HR experience. Within HR experience, you have talent management experience and the recruiter experience as two separate segments. And that's the primary core product. I, you know, I just want to pull on a thread here because obviously we're talking about experience. I think that's really important. And um, given the depth and breadth of your offering, you're doing this uh, much more sincerely than a lot of other vendors in the category who kind of say they do it, but really don't. Um, you've mentioned recruiter experience, and we are in current economic turbulence where we're seeing downsizing of recruiters. Are, is, does your technology supplant, uh, replace the recruiter? Does it enhance the recruiter experience? Like what exactly constitutes the recruiter experience? So uh, in the last four years, every talent strategy has changed six times, irrespective of which company it is. Mm -hmm. The biggest and the brightest to the smallest and the, the coolest. Like every company has changed talent strategy, whether it is retention or whether it is hiring across the world, they have changed six times. And they have changed almost every department constantly. This kind of disruption in HR never happened. Like this frequently. Mm -hmm. So you ask anybody, what is your talent transformation journey for the last three years? Nobody can give a single answer, irrespective of which CHRO it is. So what is the primary essence what's going on is, if you take recruiter experience as an example, 
the number of the demand for recruiters last year was skyrocketed. Now it has changed, but it hasn't changed throughout recruiters. It changed by industry. There are industries still recruiters are in very high demand. There are industries where recruiters are not in demand. We actually look at work in five different zones. Zone one, two, three, four, and five. Zone one and two are more like frontline workers. Four and five are knowledge workers. And zone three is more like early talent. That's how we look at the work in the stretch. One and two zones, which are frontline workers, is a lot of high demand. There is no slowing down there. Where you're really seeing a slowdown is in the four and five zones, especially the technology, uh, financial segments, and you're also really looking at a lot of areas with respect to knowledge workers where you're really, but in, in the knowledge workers, also healthcare is not slowing down. So there are pockets where it is suffering and there are pockets where the demand is actually skyrocketing. But what is the most important thread what happened in the last 30 years of HR is there is one workflow for everybody, maximum two. What we are really realizing right now is your workflow changes by the type of the talent you are really discussing in which work zone they really belong to and which location they really sit in. And based on that, the whole recruiting and retention workflows has to be redesigned, more personalized, more automated than ever. That is the experience every candidate wants, but nobody understands how to deliver. Still, we are really stuck in the older paradigm of I'll design one workflow and say like everybody has to use it. And that is where right now the overall talent strategy is changing continuously for every company. It doesn't matter which company we are talking about. Change is very scary. John, I know you want to jump in with some questions here. And I think you might be on mute, so we can have you Thank rejoin you. us. There I, we go. I want to, I want to dive deep um, on some threads that, you, that you've offered, Wahi. Um, so, so as I understand it, um, you're building a prediction machine, and the prediction machine works to deliver a personalized, high-quality experience for all of the different uh, stakeholders that you've talked about. Um, so my question is, how do you measure the accuracy of your work? Um, one of the things that's becoming clear is, um, I believe because of the number of iterations it takes to get an answer with machine learning and generative AI, um, the more often you repeat the process, the more likely you are to get errors in it, right? And that's, that's, that's something that I don't think we've been able to see before just recently. And so controlling the accuracy of personalization or controlling the accuracy of predictions um, is, is a critical problem. How do you guys think about that? Yeah, so uh, the personalization aspect actually varies dramatically by two, two different thoughts. One is how much automation you can do for that particular job and how much intelligence you have to offer to make a particular hire. So what I mean by that is, like personalization, everybody is thinking like it's a prediction of a fit score, who is a fit. 
like if you're really think, thinking about a frontline uh, use case, the fit is not based on how many skills you have. Will you work? Are you close by to the location where we are? Are you within five miles radius? Uh, can you really work? Have you worked in how long you really stayed in a particular job before? That's a relevance. In that, like skills are, like prediction of skills are very, very minute and you don't need like a like lot of what you call as uh, co complex semantic infrastructure to really make the fit scores really work. But what you need to do is you have to use AI and machine learning to make the whole process faster. Uh, like whereas in the knowledge worker use case, you have to really think about fit score as a primary mechanism to really understand who is a fit based on skills, experience, location, plus their education uh, in the whole infrastructure. So it depends on which particular side of the prediction you are really making and how effectively you will make. Of course, there are predictions which are really made to say like, hey, this is the person whom you should hire to this is the person whom you should start interviewing. There are two different steps to really do it. Our point of view is we basically predict whom you should interview. Uh, and like, but, and whom you should interview from a starting point of from a recruiter to a hiring manager and what the process is. And as you interview, what are the other data insights you which you got based on that, how you can really connect. And that is the primary aspect what we really look at. But here is the point there, like the most important topic everybody talks about is bias and what are we really doing about it? Those things do exist, they have to be addressed and that is the primary angle, how you give control back to the HR and the recruiters to really think about where are we biased and how do we really address it and what's the training, what's the thought process, what you have to inject throughout the recruiting uh, and the retention process, what you're really thinking, is the most important fabric what needs to be built in the next 10 years. So so I want to get to the bias question in a second. Uh, oh. The question that I asked you was about accuracy. Yeah. And so, so um, you gave me a set of differences in the criteria that you would use to make this predictive decisions in different cases, but you didn't really tell me how you know if the answers that you give are right, yeah. um, and and that's the accuracy question. And so and so, it would be interesting to understand if you can quantify the accuracy of your system. Yeah, the accuracy is basically predicted on multiple factors. One is what was uh, your previous hiring patterns really look like? What is your current hiring patterns really look like? Whom you actually really called for the next level of an interview? Who really called for an in-person interview? who were really got an offer, who accepted, who actually joined, and how long they stayed within the company, and what is their progression within the company. So that whole journey is where the accuracy really depends on. So each particular job and each particular company will have an accuracy parameter really defined based on till what extent you really go for. The initial accuracy is, let's say we give a prediction somebody is a fit. A, a fit or a B fit to a recruiter. And we constantly see in the back end how many people were called for an interview and how many people were really interviewed and really moved to the next steps and really made an offer and how frequently it happened. That is a feedback loop what we constantly really look at and why those feedback loops are really working. So accuracy depends on the type of the job. It also depends on the attributes what the recruiters give. 
So let's say we have something called as an idle fit. You give a resume and you give a job description. There are two data sets which you can really match against each other. There are other data sets what recruiters really look at, which is actually not written in the job description or a hiring managers really look at. What are those patterns that you can input into the system or we can predict based on what you did in the history of your hiring? But that is not only the case. Now you can also really look at who in the company are actually progressed in the company and what the parameters which work there and what the attributes which work there and what the skills or the competencies which work there. That also can be really used as a feedback loop, not just for whom to recruit, but whom to retain. And the accuracy piece is, it depends by company by company, type of job, uh, type of job, and also how much data infrastructure you have and how many feedback uh, loops you can really put. Normally, we see 60% accuracy to start out of the gates, and it will improve towards almost close to 80-85%. And that's where we constantly see where things really evolve. From there, you need more data inputs, which you need, which are not really uh, pure hardcore skills. They're much more soft core, soft core skills, which you don't have a data set in the market today. So, so what is the of the person? I, I have a quick, I have a quick question, John. Just, just sure, 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 indulge sure. me. Uh, you know, I'm hearing the term "fit score," and and I understand the logic behind this. I'm, uh, you know, definitely on board with that. We have this issue with candidates where they are not given feedback on why they did not advance as uh, through you know the the hiring process. Is the fit score ever communicated to a candidate? I'm just I'm just curious. So let me give you uh, something. So the minute somebody lands on a site, uh, like what we do is uh, we ask for, hey, uh, can you really give your profile? We can really match your jobs. Mm -hmm. We are matching jobs based on how we are fit against the jobs. So the, all the jobs what we are recommending in the front end and all the stuff what we're really doing in the back end, they are using the algorithms in the same basis. So they're really working as a feedback to loops to one another. So what happens is the fit score, they can really see like, hey, again, is this job where you really fit and when, what, what are the parameters you are really matched against and what are the areas where you didn't. And then you really can really adjust based on whatever your resume you haven't filled or you have to really rebuild your resume or whatever it is that you can do. So we constantly give that feedback how we recommend them, how we send them emails, mm -hmm. what kind of emails they really get, and all that stuff. But there is a problem in the industry, which is what you're really talking about. People don't respond, saying like, why I didn't really hire you. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is happening for the last, like, how many ever years? Forever. <laughs> and the reason is people think uh, the team within the company are more busier than the talent. But with the, with the kind of systems what we're really building with generative AI and all that stuff, you can really give a concrete feedback, which is, uh, which is much more effective in communicating that a human without uh, really going into a lot of complex areas of uh, bias answers or bias responses. So that is possible right now than ever. So okay. I'm gonna, we're, Over to we're you, John. Yeah, we're heading. I know towards, we're we're heading towards time here. So. <laughs> so, 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 so here's the here's the 
the, the question, I think we could do this for a couple of hours. It would start to get really interesting. Um, to, but to wrap today, as I listen to you talk about how you collect data and improve personalization, that sounded like the perfect recipe for automating bias, right? We are going to take the way you do it. We're going to take the way your culture operates. We're going to learn that. And so we're going to increase recommendations based on your behavior. And if okay. your behavior is rich in bias, well, that's what we that's what we would be monitoring and duplicating. And so the question the question for the moment is, how do you yank that stuff out of the system so that it doesn't produce bias results? Yeah. So the the first most important thing is, uh, like, data is actually a measure of, hey, what you are really doing constantly for the last thirty years or fifteen years or twenty years. Uh, it can really pull out where you are biased. A uh, lot of times what's happened, and so now what you can do is, how can you train these people saying like, hey, these biases do exist in your current infrastructure. How do you really address them based on where your DNI uh, like targets are? And that is the first awareness infrastructure, what we have built into the system so that we can really give back to the recruiters and the managers. These are the areas where you are biased but these are the areas where you have to overcome them. But here is the most important point. People are thinking, if I don't collect the data, I don't have bias. The minute I collect the data, I have bias. Collecting data is actually give awareness of your bias, and then you have a chance to correct it. That's human progress. And the, in, the, in this whole equation, machines are actually helping to really give us the awareness of the context of bias more than ever. And that's a good start, and it's a good progress which we all can make. And that's our stand. And that's why we constantly give back, like based on, we do these audits in the back end, and we really give them the based on the audits where you were to where you are right now. It's not 100% elimination of bias, it's impossible. Uh, all you can do is you can really make sure you can reduce in your existing infrastructure how bias can be addressed. And that's all uh, we all have to aspire for. Rather than like a lot of people are really saying like, I'll make it zero bias. How will you make? Right, you can't, you can't. It's good that you see that. Gene. Yeah, you can't, you can't. I, I'm just curious. Um, I, I just want to end on this note. Um, how many of your customers ask you, proactively ask you for that information in terms of it, are they beginning to make strides? in terms of managing bias out of the, based on the data? So uh, like what, what, what we really do is rather than they asking, uh, like there is a good percentage of people really ask like where it is. Mm -hmm. We will look at like, what are their goals against their, from their leadership uh, perspective about uh, diversity and inclusion. And we match against where their biases right now are orienting so that they can take an action towards what their targets are. And if it is an actionable infrastructure, it's much more effective in terms of people really using it rather than giving reports saying like, hey, this is where you're biased and you have to address immediately. Uh, at least like 20 to 30% of the people ask explicitly, but there are a lot of spots where you can inject these thoughts in a much more effective format. And there are a lot of people who don't want to even really look at it because the minute they really look at it, it's legally accountable. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Action or whatever it is. Yeah. But that's where also uh, the policy has to be changed. Uh, like a lot of 
uh, like I also had a conversation about this particular topic with the EEOC commissioner and all that stuff. He came to our I'm Phenom conference about the same topic. Uh, like first really bring awareness rather than really saying like, we have to solve the problem. We are not even identifying the problem and we are really jumping into solutions. Yeah, good point. Right. Good point. Well, John, I, I know we've been so excited to have Mahi on as our guest today. Uh, do you want to do you want to help us uh, uh, tie things up with our our listeners today, and and uh, also let them know how Mahi can be reached? Well, so I leave I leave Mahi's contact information to Mahi. I think this is an interesting start to a conversation. The the legislation to regulate exactly the kind of business that you're in is growing fairly quickly. And um, it seems to me that it is uh, inventing solutions before the problems are understood. Um, and so, so understanding how you guys are navigating that is going to be an interesting follow-up conversation if you'll find some time for us. Um, with that said, Thanks for doing this, Mahi. It was a treat to get to spend a little bit of time with you. Um, and if you would take a moment to reintroduce yourself and tell people how to get a hold of you. Yep. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, John. Like, uh, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you both, like, uh, as always. So people can reach me on LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, like, uh, where I'm mostly available. Uh, like, in general, like, my, our point of view is uh, there is a humongous disruption going on in the industry right now, and it's happening for a while. And uh, we're in a very, very good spot to really make that disruption, uh, like help everybody as a humanity to grow up. I think like uh, it's an awesome times for everyone. Great. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much for being here. You've been listening to The Work, a podcast that I do each week with my colleague, Gene Achille, and we've been talking with Mahi Bareni, the co-founder and CEO of Phenom. Thanks very much. You can find the podcast anywhere where you regularly look for podcasts, and we will see you back here next week. Bye-bye.